Author of the Week, featuring another great creator of narratives for the human race on Southside Broadcasting and Siren Radio. It's difficult to actually acknowledge the passage of time, but when you realize it's uh, over a year since we last actually welcomed the awesome writer and indeed archaeologist V.S. Holmes to the program, you realize time is just shooting by. That was to talk about blood and mercy, of course, uh, and uh, we've moved on since then. We're very much continuing the adventures of that hot-tempered Dr. Nell Bentley, because heretics is out and on board and doing all sorts of things. Uh, And we're delighted to welcome international best-selling SFF author extraordinaire V.S. Holmes back to the program. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me again. It's always fun to stop by. Uh, Absolutely. And a genuine pleasure and delight. So um, how has life been treating you over the last few months as uh, some of us have been heading through pandemics apparently according to britain it's all over now all over by the shouting etc <laughs> other countries perhaps not as successful but uh, what's the overall vibe been from your own creative aspects well i mean chaos is a great word i think to, to use um we've we've had a lot of exciting developments um you know both personally and, and professionally um we are about to move house which is very exciting, though I'm excited for it to mostly be over with. And uh, I've sort of dived back into writing the the Nell Bentley books. I'm working on number five right now, which <laughs> is a little daunting, but also very exciting. And I uh, just received a really wonderful five-star review from Publishers Weekly on Heretics. So that's also very exciting. Well, absolutely, but not entirely unexpected, it has to be said, for uh, the actual piece itself. Uh, of course, it's actually um, the, uh, I think it was 2021, May the 8th, when uh, Heretics actually launched into the whole package. And uh, a brief pricey, of course, hot-tempered Dr. Nell Bentley, uh, not cut out to save the world. After our last project ended in fire and death, Nell must put aside her distrust of just about everyone and embark on a lo-fi search for a deadly radio transmission. Uh, torn between the austere, super, austere superpower of IDH and the high-tech grassroots Los Poblemadores, or Poblemadores, uh, it basically looks as though it's another gripping adventure, VS. Yes, yeah, it was really exciting to, to come back to Earth with Nell and uh, see how, how things had changed and also how she has changed. I'm getting a sense, of course, of... Uh, one-word titles come across here. It's still going to talk about before, but travellers, drifters, strangers, heretics, of course, we're speaking of now. Uh, Fugitives is forthcoming. Uh, mm-hmm. And indeed, the prequel novella Disciples is upcoming as well. Yeah, yeah. Disciples is actually, you can check it out for free on my website um, to see if you like Nell's world and my writing. Um, so you can definitely go over there and check that out. And the sixth and final book will be coming at some point. You know, I'm, I'm told, unfortunately, that you have to write the books in order for them to come out. So. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we can actually sort of just work time backwards, in which case right. the book's already written and uh, <laughs> effectively it's already processed. And uh, we thank you for a great interview. And there we are. So I've oh, done and dusted. It's all done. You know, that simultaneous sense. I think it was Einstein in a quote I've used quite frequently, really, who <laughs> argued that uh, the most persistent of illusions is that past, present and future are indeed separate entities. It's a bit like saying that North Carolina is in a different time zone as well for the whole thing. And that's why we welcome Jessica Burtis back to the programme. And I actually sort of just reveal the backdrop as well there with respect to, as you see, a little tribute to V.S. Holmes there in the background. Jessica, how are you? 
I am doing pretty well. How are you both? Well, I mean, I'm still blown away by the latest inserts from VSS, but I don't think, Jessica, you've had a chance to speak to VSS yet. So what questions would you like to put to this awesome, award-winning science fiction and fantasy author? I have so many questions, but I feel like I have to start with the, the origins of your love for science fiction and fantasy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. My my origins for sci-fi and fantasy really started with my dad. Um, he was a huge science fiction and fantasy nerd and just started reading The Hobbit to me at a very young age. And he was always into exploration and just how vast the universe was. And, you know, he, he was a, a big man and a smart man, but I, it was always amazing to see how odd he was by uh, the, the beauties of the universe. And I definitely inherited that from him. In terms of the overall sort of package, I mean, clearly from your own uh, perspective, we talked, uh, say, back in, in 2020 about sort of the, the, the ways you got involved with the whole process, etc. Was, the, the, again, this love of science fiction, which we touched on there with Jessica, um, do you think science fiction works best when it's used as an allegory? when it's used as a metaphor, or when it's just a rollicking good adventure? I mean, obviously all all things are, are great. And I think every story serves a different purpose. Um, you know, I, I think it's great to have fun with work, especially when you're a creator. I think if you're not having fun or getting something from it, even if it's just, you know, catharsis by you know putting your your terrible boss into your into your newest uh newest work as a villain um you know I, I think it's really important for that and when you get something out of writing it your readers will, will get something out of reading it hopefully um but you know I, I i do think each story is is very different and for me it's for the readers to find something in my work that helps them through their own world I have to ask the question before we return to Jessica. I mean, I was intrigued by the fact that you have virtual book signings. There we are. Just put one on there. Virtual book <laughs> signing. Uh, radio with pictures. Marvellous. Um, just talk us through what the strategy is for a virtual book signing. I mean, you know, taken literally, you'd say, well, here's the invisible book and here's the invisible signature. It's virtual. <laughs> And, you know, it, it was really tough because that was sort of a seat of the pants um, change. Blood and Mercy came out in the middle of the beginning of the pandemic, you know, what, what we hoped was going to just be the middle. And I had to very quickly pivot from, you know, this is going to be a great huge book signing at uh, a bookstore that I went to as a child, you know, it'll be really exciting. I'll get to see those booksellers again now sort of from the other side. And we, we had to really quickly change and figure out how to make it fun for, for the people who wanted to attend and, you know, also make it work for for the bookstore itself. Um, so we sort of put together a, a, a video and asked some questions and did things like that. And then I, I did send out signed copies to everyone who attended and um, ordered through that bookstore. Um, so that's, that's sort of how we made it work. You know, there were definitely some hiccups and some things that I, I might do differently in the future, but I'm I'm hoping that we won't have to just stick with virtual book signings for the future. Yeah, although having said that, it's a bit of a COVID bonus in many ways. I mean, you can obviously connect in the same way as we're connecting now. I mean, you know, I look back to uh, your debut on, on the Madrid Drive, 3rd of July 2020, as we mentioned. Uh, and, uh, you know, at that stage, we were just beginning to explore this kind of uh, interactivity and, and ways forward. So is it a case of this is humanity? This is what we do. We survive and hopefully we thrive as well. 
Oh, definitely. I mean, we we adapt. That's that's what humans do, um, for for better or for worse. Uh, we're, we're very adaptable, and we're very good at you know trying to change our our environments. Um, you know, that's coming from both a, a writer and an archaeologist background. There, um, I I just hope that you know we can remember that one of the biggest adaptations that we have is our community and how we take care of one another. I've got to ask the question. I'm going to sort of position, position on this particular thing. Uh, Lara Croft or Indiana Jones, which one would you say you'd be more gravitating towards, Lara Croft or Indiana Jones, in terms of obviously <laughs> kick-ass archaeologists? Well, you know, I'd, I'd probably have to maybe go with Indiana Jones. Um, I, I appreciate the people he chooses to punch uh, for their political beliefs and i uh, i definitely appreciate his you know it, it belongs in a museum um standpoint however i'm of the position that uh the the artifacts belong to the people who made them um and and i don't think either he nor nor laura croft are really um always great at remembering that big big challenge of course in britain with the algin marbles you know greeks greeks yes. them back we've just started saying no no we're just keeping them whatever um i could have <laughs> i could have thrown in alan quartermain from king solomon's minds as well but i thought no perhaps not that was just right. <laughs> a whole age rider haggard routine jessica back to yourself yeah, so going back to that archaeology point, I was fascinated to read archaeological sci-fi um, about the descriptions of your work. So can you tell us like how you incorporate your archaeological background into your world building and your story narrative? That's a that's a great question. Um, you know, the the easy flippant way to answer is writing and archaeology are the same because you're trying to discover the truth of the story and the truth of the characters and what the heck happened. And it's just digging in your own brain, which is arguably scarier than most of the field projects I've had. Um, so, you know, for, for that, it's it's very similar for me. But I also think that when we're when, when I'm world building, you know, I like to figure out the hows and the whys of the characters and start from, a, you know, a, a very small idea. And that's a lot of what archaeology is, um, is I found this this one piece of what someone else considered trash, they, they lost it or they discarded it. And now I have to build a, a whole narrative, <laughs> you know, from from that one thing. So I, I really enjoy that. And then it's it's quite easy with Nell's books, of course, um, because she is an archaeologist. So I get to think about, you know, oh, well, what what are the things I, I wish I could say? Or what are the things that, you know, I, I wish we had? What technology would help our, our field and help what, what we do? And with Nell, um, as a protagonist, how do you go about trying to understand your protagonist and get in their head? Because I've heard with some writers, like, they have a hard time kind of, like, communicating with their narrative and trying to understand, like, what their character wants to portray. So how do you go about, like, discovering who the protagonist is going to be? That's a really good question, too. I, I used to be a plotter for a very long time. I, I was a heavy plotter, you know, designing the story before I ever really wrote much of it. And um, I've definitely changed a lot in the past few years with, with regards to that. And I realized it's because the best way to develop some of my characters is just to start writing and oftentimes fast paced dialogue scenes um, where they're either agreeing or disagreeing with a, another character um, really help me get into her voice and her opinions um you know of course i always have to edit out the the number of f-bombs she drops um but that's definitely helpful for me is is some dynamic where there's a conversation happening um and there's you know strong opinions on on either side 
The notion of the flawed hero is something that goes all the way back to Joseph Campbell's uh, Hero of a Thousand Faces and, and so on. Um, was that something when you decided to make Nell a functioning alcoholic with anger issues? <laughs> you thought, how can I actually really give this, this character a, a few flaws that uh, she has to overcome and challenges she needs to rise to? Well, I'd, I'd argue many of her flaws might be um, sort of expounded upon my, my own. Um, with archaeology, a lot of um, my coworkers and, you know, we, we just have a lot of strong personalities and, you know, for, for better and for worse. And there's, you know, a lot of clashes that come from that. And there are also a lot of really great conversations. And so, you know, a lot of Nell's characteristics and, you know, the characteristics of her friends are drawn from the people that I know and love dearly. Um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of archaeologists uh, definitely, definitely can hold their liquor. I uh, know a number of archaeologists who uh, probably would actually uh, c commit to that whole system, but it's interesting. Uh, one of our, our regular colleagues at Jessica, myself, who worked with Rob Holmes, uh, Rob Nichols, I should say, uh, has uh, kind of defined himself as a kind of you know, weekend archaeologist. He prefers to actually go back home of an evening and actually sort of you know, travel <laughs> to the dig and then back from the dig. How, would you perceive yourself as basically being somebody who, no, if whatever the weather, you're going to be out there, hail sunshine rain you're going to be making those discoveries <laughs> i mean i i have a huge sense of of discovery and excitement when it comes to my job i'm i'm lucky in that i love it um and when i have a crew depending on me i i might not make them go out in the sleet or the the hurricane as as it was earlier this year um <laughs> just you know, watching that wall of clouds yeah. approach <laughs> um oh, but that, I, that adds to the tension of the thought if you're actually doing <laughs> yeah. an archaeological dig well to so the hurricane approaching yeah yeah exactly when when you're under the power lines it can be a little scary when when the weather gets sketchy electricity but... short shots as well it's fantastic <laughs> everything <there>. yeah <laughs> no I, I i do enjoy um you know coming home and, and, and staying dry if it's miserable out. Um, but, you know, sometimes the, the backhoes are waiting to destroy what, what you're digging. And so you, you have to be out there and you have to do it as, as fast as possible and as carefully as possible. And I mean, clearly, as as we sort of constantly looking back towards uh, the, the the past to, to always sort out the future, as we said a few moments ago, maybe the things are indistinguishable, and maybe in the great cosmos, all things are occurring simultaneously. Um, what's the most exciting thing in terms of your career as an archaeologist that you've actually uh, discovered to work through, and then most exciting thing you've actually written about? So a double whammy there. Oh, that's that's good. Um... Well, the most exciting thing for me as an archaeologist, um, you know, we oftentimes will will excavate and then, you know, we'll we'll write our reports and, and things sort of molder in, in boxes and we don't maybe get to see the big picture as as often as um, the the news might have you believe. And it's very exciting to sort of find out more about what you've discovered. And uh, several years ago, I unearthed a stone knife that we ended up being able to not only date but also determine what protein was on the edge of that knife and it's a careful form of, of excavation in order to do that and it came back not only was it 13,000 years old but it was used on bear skin uh, so it came back with bear DNA and it was just so fascinating to you know find out the age and then also learn what it had been used on and so it was just really incredible to hold that in my hand and think the last time it was held was that long ago. Oh. 
and, and did that inform your writing? Is that something where, in a sense, Nell will have a similar kind of sense of awe, sense of, of, of wonder, really? Oh, for sure. Um, when in the first book, they do excavate um, a, a tool and also do protein residue analysis on it. And a lot of that uh, was you know, taken from that experience. So that that was really fun to incorporate. And um, as for the most exciting thing to write, for me, it is always the deep, profound human interactions um, when those hard things are being said um, or, or, or being done. And there's actually one particular scene coming up in Fugitives that was probably one of my most favorite scenes to write um, between Nell and, and a side character. And I'm very excited to be able to share that with people coming up. Sounds great. I mean, and cinematic, I think we've talked about this before, actually, in terms of the, uh, the, the sort of line. I mean, you know, if, if, if Amazon Prime can actually redo Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, then surely Netflix have got to be up to actually sort of uh, focus on the work of V.S. Holmes. I mean, I'm just saying, you know. It's, Fingers it's crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <Exactly. laughs> needs to be addressed. Um, we've spoken to many authors, obviously, in this particular slot, and, and some of them have actually had a particular fondness for styles of music or playlists that they actually comp compile when they're actually writing and so on. Musically, do you have any particular interests or, or is there something I, I can't possibly do this unless I actually have Beethoven's Ninth Symphony working <laughs> in the background at full force or, 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 or music from the Spin Doctors or whatever? <laughs> I think my my taste run perhaps perhaps a little bit more plebeian than than classical artists, um, but I, I definitely need music or at least something distracting um, for me. So I, I do gravitate towards instrumental certainly when when writing because um, there's there's already enough voices going on in my brain. We we, we don't need to add more. Um, but I do enjoy a lot of the for Nell the um, like synthwave sort of 80s inspired instrumental music um, for that excitement and sort of the snark and the the sci-fi aspect. And then I do also like a lot of um, sort of more instrumental moody things that you can find like playlists of on on youtube and so forth for my more fantasy fantasy works so an electronica fan perhaps or, or, or... <laughs> yes yeah def definitely sometimes I, I have a very eclectic taste and i actually do have playlists for each of the nell bentley books um you can find them on on my website if you go check out the the star's edge world mm -hmm. and and that's sort of a fun treat um though you might be sort of appalled by some of my tastes <laughs> It's, it's, it's worth considering it's worth sort of working through the whole process uh jessica back to your good self i'm just sort of trying to work where where because obviously jessica's in north carolina vs where is it where are you based again um i'm based in new england in in the u.s so i don't think that's too far away is it really i mean you're on the mm -hmm. east coast as, if, if memory serves and my geography isn't sort of too off base on that one anyway jessica thoughts and uh comments yeah it, just, it brought to mind too with the music there's a um a band called queens of the stone age and like oh, yes <laughs> yeah this whole vibe was like very reminded me of them <laughs> so <laughs> i love here like your take on the music with synthwave and things like that um i was very curious um being an archaeologist is there like a time period where you wish you could like jump back there for a day and with sci-fi worlds is there also like a sci-fi world that you wish you could like spend a day in oh that's that's really tough i I would definitely love to go back and 
interact with some of the people whose you know belongings I've I've discovered um, or not discovered but but unearthed. Um, that that would be really fun. Um, it's sort of a, a double-edged sword because a lot of times when people ask that question, it's like, oh, okay, well, well, if you know me myself in in this body went <laughs> went back in time, it would probably be a bad time for me. Um, so you know, I, I think it'd be really fun to sort of be be the interviewer and and just talk around the campfire with some of the people that mm-hmm. you know that I've studied and really just listen to them um, that, that that would be awesome and then as far as sci-fi worlds go um, that's that's a really tough one because again a, a lot of the sci-fi that we write is um, is sad or dark in a lot of ways but anything where there's some really great body modifications that that would probably be my my bag. Uh, that that would be really fun. I could definitely use some bionic hips and a bionic spine. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like some cyber world. Yeah, yeah. with the cyborgs and stuff. That'd be really cool. One of the the interesting sort of books that plays around with time, which I must admit I was very impressed with, was uh, uh, the writings of uh, Connie Willis. Are you familiar with 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 Connie in terms of her own work and uh, uh, the uh, uh, the approach she actually took in terms of uh, writing about the plague and, and and other sort of areas as well? She certainly plays around with time travel very very effectively. I definitely know know of her. Um, she's on my my to be read list, and of course that's towering and threatening to crush me in my sleep on my nightstand right now. Um, so I haven't delved into her works yet. But dealing with with time and you know I, either time travel or just balancing two narratives in two different time periods, which is actually what I intended with with travelers at first before I you know actually sat down to to write it. I I am really in awe of, of authors who can balance that because it can be very tricky, um, especially with with time travel that's always a an, an iffy issue so she she definitely has my respect for that well the the, the connie willis uh, novel I, i'd certainly recommend it's a bit of a, a chunky read but it certainly plays around with this and, and it's almost as say the perfect novel for pandemic times because it's uh, it's called the doomsday book and mm. it plays with a group of archaeologists in oxford uh, who also kind of connect with uh, time travel and one of the, uh, the the main protagonists, she goes back uh, to the 13th century and the plague and all sorts of other issues. I think he might like it. I'm just sort of putting yeah. it out there for that point of view. So do, do so for that. But we're not here to talk about Connie Willis. We're here <laughs> to focus obviously on yourself, RBS, and, and, and the fantastic work you've actually put together with, within that. Um, hard science or more fantasy-based science where you, in terms of science fiction where do you prefer is it a case of both surely i mean yes of course it is a, a case of both i i definitely lean toward hard science when i'm including the science in the plot you know if, if it's key for um big plot aspects or big world building i i try to include at least enough for um it to seem plausible because you know i I don't think I could handle it if, if, if I didn't. Um, I'm a person who needs to know how things work in order to, to understand them. And so I, I do like to include that. But what does help is Nell is incredibly skeptical and not technology-based at all. Um, you know, she, she likes her, her iPod and, and her truck and, and that kind of thing. But she other than that, she's not big on technology. So that does give me an out when I don't want to research something. Nell can just be like, yeah, all that science stuff, just just stop, stop explaining it to me. I, I stopped listening to you long ago. <laughs> of the notion of an iPod, how wonderfully early 21st century in many ways. Yes. Are you? <laughs> You know, the, 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 the notion of the portable on-demand music is actually there just so we can listen to Queens of the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's authentic. Uh, Jessica, any, any closing thoughts for yourself? 
Yeah, so a big one for me I really love to know is, are there any sci-fi tropes that you love and are a big fan of? And are there any tropes that you just absolutely want to stay away from? Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> without, without stepping on toes here. I, I love you don't anything. don't have to mention any names, but yes, right. okay. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Um, no, I, I definitely love... Um, the like culture clash thing with with sci-fi when it comes with first contact and all of the really fun um misunderstandings that can can arise from that um because i think it it is important when we see ourselves through the eyes of of someone else and have that moment of like oh is that really what okay that's 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 interesting yeah i guess i guess you're not wrong um i, th I think that can be fun and that's important to to have those discussions uh, as far as ones i'm not a fan of I I think that sometimes science fiction can lean a little towards eugenics when it comes to like oh but like everything's cured now um, because like advanced society and and that bothers me because it doesn't take into consideration uh, the fact that our genes are always mutating and the fact that in space there are plenty of accidents that can happen and so so disability will arise um, and so I I like when those things are addressed uh, well and you can really see the the breadth of human differences in in the work instead of just like oh everyone's cured of everything yeah it's nice to have like that representation mm -hmm. yeah i think it was hg uh, wells who uh in things to come was obviously suggesting very strongly that a a future in which these scientific philosopher kings rule society would be uh, much more preferable until it was actually pointed out to him by a b i believe aldous huxley that actually what he was arguing for was exactly what adolf hitler was going for in terms of his yes. master race Yep. But there we are. <laughs> bit, bit of an embarrassment for Herbert George there, but never mind. You know, what the <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you get over it. You know, that's, that, that's, right. that's the bottom line. Um, in terms of the um, the future, let's let's look at the, at the future, etc. I mean, in theory, we're supposed to be heading out of the big pandemic, the once in a lifetime or whatever scenario here. Although uh, uh, people are obviously <laughs> saying about our particular uh, leader, uh, he's basically the, he's the the guy who looks a bit like a sheepdog, you know, kind yes. of sheepdog with uh, etc. But sheepdogs are more trustworthy. That's the only difference. Oh, certainly. Um, but in, in in terms of of that. Um, do you, do you think that you're going to get back on the circuit with a case of, yeah, conventions, here I come, you know, in between various other things, book signings are actually here, or will you be blending the notion of things that we're doing now, online interviews and so on, with the kind of in-person appearances? Definitely blending wherever possible. Um, you know, I, I have some immune issues that, you know, make it a little scarier for, for me to go back to, quote, normal, whatever normal was. Um, so I'll, I'll definitely be sticking more to, to virtual things, but I, I would really love to hug my friends sometime soon and, um, you know, definitely meet some, some new readers. So I'm, I'm hoping that in the next few years uh, we'll, we'll be able to do that safely and, um, you know, make, make some some careful, educated compromises. vshomes.com, homes as in H-O-L-M-E-S. Uh, it's interesting when you actually put VS Homes into search engines, you get a whole yes. range of boxing matches coming through. It's amazing. <laughs> You know, I didn't I, Google it first. <laughs> yes, yes, extraordinary. But vshomes.com will take you to a whole range of wonderful things, including, as uh, VS rightly said, a uh, an insight in terms of disciples, which I think is up there, and of course the the ongoing series uh, of uh, uh, of Nell, the archaeologist. Uh, functioning alcoholic and indeed asshole. What the hey? No, I've said it. You know, I was a little bit worried about that. Incidentally, did I get the pronunciation of Los 
Poblemadores, vaguely right. Uh, lo, los Pobladores. Los Pobladores. <laughs> yes. Los Pobladores. There we are. That's, that's always good from that. Yes, uh, <laughs> we've now got a fairly critical time that we've reached in the interview, which you didn't actually have on your debut because it was just myself. Although we used the same two questions. Jessica, would you like to put those two final interrogatives to our New England correspondent and indeed archaeologist and general all round fine award winning author, uh, V.S. Holmes? Over to you, Jessica. I'd be delighted to. So have you had a reasonably interesting Zoomer with us today? Yes, yes, very much so. Fantastic. So can we welcome you back again soon? Oh, I suppose. <laughs> the, the, the answer is always yes. <laughs> oh, great. So always critical. Upcoming, uh, we've got a, a feature on a, a new series, which has just actually launched uh, in Britain, which uh, who knows may cross the Atlantic. It's uh, Celebrity Help, My House is Haunted. Yes, we're dealing with a genuine uh, paranormal investigator who's going to be talking about various other bits and pieces. What other thing could we actually follow a VS Homes feature uh, with and, and help my house is haunted? Or as I frequently <laughs> said to the interview, unfortunately, a possible sequel, help my horse is haunted. It's easily put together. <laughs> but, you know, I think that was more Sleepy Hollow, wasn't they? VS Homes, keep on keeping on. All the very best. And uh, keep up the excellent work. Thank you so much. This was a great time.
things that go bump in the night, strange sounds, those peculiar sort of activities, are they connections with the unknown? Well, uh, who knows? And it does seem as though the whole world is being faced with uh, uh, issues of the supernatural, the untoward, the, the strangeness of life, etc. Indeed, you could actually say that maybe we're dealing with hauntings. And if we're talking about hauntings, who better to talk to than paranormal expert and TV host extraordinaire, Ian Lawman. How are you, Ian? I'm very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm okay, I think. I mean, all things well. I mean, in this particular segment of reality that we call the 21st <laughs> century, I think I'm okay. Um, but let's talk about this uh, whole new series that's uh, launching, Celebrity Help My Horse is Haunted, is, is, haunted, is even haunted, perhaps. Um, you've got Martin Roberts, you've got uh, Frankie Essex, you've got Charlotte Crosby, Toya Wilcox, and of course, Alex Best, the wife, of course, the legendary Northern Ireland footballer as well, uh, all part of this whole thing. Share with us, Ian, what's going on? What's the series about? Well, it's about three investigators, myself, Barry Guy and Jane Harris, going into people's properties that they've had problems with, not just for months, but for many, many years. Mm. And we, we go in there and investigate and find out and try and put their story together and help them and help the spirit potentially move on and give them some peace in their home. So, I mean, we're not talking exorcisms here, presumably, because obviously that'd be in breach of, of, of Ofcom guidelines and all sorts of other bits and pieces of that basis. Is it, is it more a case of you're trying to make contact with the spirit and say, look, okay, guys, you've had your time, time to move on? Yeah, we are. We, we, we're kind of making contact with them and uh, we send them to the light in, in, in ways where you don't have to perform exorcisms and things like that. So, so we make contact, we try and find out why they're, they're there. And you tend to find that a lot of spirit or a lot of ghosts just want to make contact with that person and just have their final goodbyes or express themselves. Now, in Aaron Craskill's case, a YouTuber star, he, he's also an artist, and he was finding that he was getting aggressive in his um, art room, in his studio, and his, his art was becoming very dark. And what we found out outside his house, there was a gentleman, there was a brewer, an old brewery, and he got knocked, um, sorry, he got attacked by a dog that had rabies. And um, we felt that that was a gentleman that was haunting Aaron Craskell's house because it sent you crazy. And Aaron was feeling dry in the throat. And when you have rabies, you have this fear, you have this phobia of taking on water. And that's what we felt was in his property. And that's how we dealt with it. We made contact with him and find out why he was there. And we made, we put Aaron under like a trance state. So he drew this really dark painting. And then we attached his spirit to it, which sounds quite complicated. And then we burned the, the, the painting, which released that man's energy. People have a lot of thoughts on this, and we can go back to Arthur Conan Doyle and his belief yeah. in the Cottingley fairies and the spiritualism and all the other sort of factors within that. What we're doing now to citizens of the 19th century would have been seen as witchcraft, you know, using Zoom to conduct radio connections from that point of view. So let's just try and drill down a bit more into paranormal activity. Is it just a case of it's the illusion of time breaking in on itself and working through other aspects within that. It's something beyond our ken. Or, or is it something that, you know, we just think, well, it's just the mind playing tricks on us? I believe that we're living in a, in a paranormal universe. And I believe that we're here and spirit's here. And we're doing this every, every few seconds. And I think that's how we clip into it. And that's how we get those moments. 
And, it, and it's certain people who can tap into their moments and communicate, like spirit, spiritualism or spiritualist medium. And they're doing this all the time, and that's how they're tapping into that energy. And we can walk into a space. I don't know how many times you've walked into a, into a space and thought, oh, God, I, I got that chill. Now, somebody sceptical may say that's because you've walked into a different um, atmosphere, so it, it, is, it is cold. But then people who believe may say you've walked into somebody else's energy, and that's why you're feeling that energy. Einstein once said that the most persistent of illusions is that past, present and future are separate entities. Is there a case yeah. of sometimes we see these things just crossing over on us and, you know, George Best is still alive and well in one instance and another instance he's actually getting in touch with his, uh, uh, his, 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 his partner, Alex Best? I, I totally agree. If, if, if you ever saw a, a, a series called Good Night Sweetheart, do you remember that with Nicholas Linden? And I think that's a really good example to quote, that he just walked into... That, that parallel, parallel universally walked into that next dimension and that's when he may communicate with the people in the wartime. And we're doing. So is it scary? I mean, a lot of people say, well, we love you know, movies like Poltergeist, uh, the, the whole notions of seeing, you know, exorcisms being placed and, and communication or finding, is there anybody there getting the Ouija board out, et cetera. And of course, there's the flip side, which says, well, you know, we're on the shore. You don't want to actually go into the sea because in the sea, you can find sharks there in a metaphorical and metaphysical sense. So share with us your own sort of pathway in terms of how this is about, or would you say, don't go there without the help of a decent lawman, in this case, myself? Yeah, I, I took, yeah, I mean, it's the same as everything, isn't it? I think if you go, you can go into a property and, it, and it's quite pleasant and you're just making contact with, with Auntie Sue or Auntie Maureen or Uncle Tom, and they're just wanting to say, look, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm um, illness-free now, I can move on now, you've, you've accepted me. But then we could go on into another property where some family have dabbled with Ouija boards and things like that, which we have been into in Series 3, where some of the public have dabbled in Ouija boards and it's a little bit more intense. And I always say, when you start dabbling with dark arts and things like that, then you are opening a doorway into something quite negative. And, it, and it's like, for example, if you left your front door open now, you can't guarantee that that little Doris from next door would pop in or the burglar from down the road. So it's the same principle. You know, you don't know who you're letting in. So it can be very scary. Looking at the lineup of celebrities for this series, I'm really impressed that you've got Tyre Wilcox, because Tyre has been known for her, shall we say, eccentricities over the years and probably might be more open to uh, experiencing persistent paranormal activity. But were you surprised in terms of uh, the celebrities who, who were there? I mean, uh, Homes Under the Hammers, Martin Roberts, of course, the social media star, Aaron Kraskill, as you, as you mentioned. Um, or, or was it just a case of, well, this just proves the uh, universality of paranormal activity? I, I think I think you know people tend to think that you know when, when we're doing the celebrity series, I was very skeptical, and I'm going to be brutally honest with you because so are they going to promo a book? They're going to promo the next show. As soon as I walked into those properties, and bearing in mind I didn't know whose house we was walking into, so I would walk around solo, and I would come outside, meet the guys, and then say, "Do you know whose house this is?" And and and, and that's that, that's how it would work. But I was very very shocked how haunted these properties were and how shocked you know the, the, the amazing lineup of celebrities we've got and um, toy is very very spiritual i mean toy has got a room full of crystals um she feels things in a house she feels a little bit of negativity but she's lived there for 20 years 
Toya's problem she was... She did used to sleep in a coffin, to be fair, in her teenage years. <laughs> exactly. But Toya's problem were that when friends came to visit, they had to leave. They felt very uncomfortable in her house, in the attic room. Now, we go in with, with, with an open mind, but when Barry, our lead investigator, got punched in the esophagus and, and, and took his windpipe, he was gasping for her. Uh, he was crying and saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die in exactly the same location as the people or her friends who need to leave from that property. Now, that to me, is it coincidence? Is, is, is that paranormal activity? You know, Bar Barry is on the fence with this, you know, because he, he, he needs to find the science to disprove or to prove. Now, he has an experience that he can't explain. Uh, yeah. You, you, you mentioned Barry uh, Guy, the, uh, there is of course uh, your good self and of course uh, historian uh, and paranormal researcher Jane Harris. Yes. Uh, I'm just, uh, I have to ask the question, was there ever a sort of time where you felt you wanted to get dressed in the full Ghostbusters regalia and actually cross, <laughs> cross those proton rays? Or it's just a I, I, I think Barry would love that. Jane and I, Jane, Barry, Barry's a comedy uh, sketch throughout the uh, threesome and, and Jane and I are quite the serious ones and um, I don't think Jane would go for that but Jane's yeah. got an well, Jane walks off and, and looks into the history goes to libraries and talks to local historians so she comes back and hits us with with the wambamas and say did you know an example Charlotte Crosby's house is built on an old mine shaft and it's a modern house and um, she came back to us Jane came back to us and said they was a mining disaster, potentially under Crosby's house, and a numerous amount of people died, but there's members who died there called Crosby's. It's celebrity, help my house is haunted, as opposed to just help my house is, my house is haunted, my horse is haunted. Honestly, you know, clearly I'm being possessed within the room at present. Yeah. Um, Ian, where can people actually access the series? How can they actually uh, come and, and, and see uh, the episodes in full force? Well, Celebrity Help My House is Haunted drops on Discovery Plus from today, then every Friday after for six weeks. 